Welcome to the Anthro to UX podcast, where you will learn how to break into UX with an anthropology degree. Through conversations with leading anthropologists working in user experience, you will learn firsthand how others made the transition, what they learned along the way, and what they would do differently. We will be discussing what it means to do UX research from a practical perspective and what you need to do to prepare a resume and portfolio. I'm your host, Matt Arts, a business anthropologist specializing in design anthropology and working at the intersection of product management, user experience, and business strategy. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Matt Arts with Anthro to UX. I'm here today with Liz Radwell. Liz is an assistant professor of digital media at the University of Houston, also the executive director of the Houston UXPA chapter, previously a senior UX researcher at Schlumberger, and uh, has a forthcoming book, which we'll touch on at the end. So Liz, thanks for coming on. Thank Um, you for having me. My pleasure. So today, you know, what I'd like to talk about is, of course, your experience in UX and what you're doing in the education space, but also sort of the transition in your case of where you went from industry back. But before we get there, could you tell me a little bit about how you came into anthropology? Well, anthro for me was um, really... It came out of my interest in media and technology. Um, When I was an undergrad, I did not take a single anthro course. Um, I thought of anthro as um, requiring me to go to a remote island somewhere, live in a tent. Um, I had no interest in that. I was always interested in um, really internet culture back in my, my college days. And I didn't think anthro had that to offer. So it really took a trip to my university career services as an undergrad. And they said either I should go off and become an anthropologist or a fiction writer. So um, I decided to to check out Anthro um, after doing so much media studies. And I kind of got sucked into the cult and have been here ever since. Very cool. So yeah, it was a weird transition at first. I, I felt like I was the only one in my master's program who had no Anthro experience. Yeah, well, uh, I can sort of uh, understand your feeling there because I went to the UNT program after studying business, so I came into it later. You know, and I never heard of it in undergrad, never took a course either. But of course, it's not too late, and you've now sort of made that work really well. And so, you know, at what point did you, in the course of your studies, start really learning about UX, and you know, how did you end up at Schlumberger? Well, I made it all the way through my PhD program, having never heard of UX. Um, So I graduated and fully intended to go the academic route, but um, I am married to a designer and he took me to um, an AIGA event, which is uh, the American Institute of Graphic Artists. Um, And they used to do an event in Houston called Cocktails with Creatives. (laughs) And um, it was pretty well attended and I wound up talking to a guy who absolutely lit up when I said that I was um, an anthropologist. And he said that he was hiring uh, people to work in UX. And I had to go home and Google that. I (laughs) really had not heard the term. Um, And when he said that he could use someone with my experience, I expected that he was going to have me do field work related to the mobile apps and, um, and software that his company developed. Mm-hmm. So this was first for a company called Softway here in Houston. 
Um, so I started there. And for the first month, I still had no idea what UX was, even though it was in my job title. So I really learned on the fly, which is how I think I've had to learn pretty much everything. Um, I'm usually, I think I'm a bit of a late bloomer when it comes to most of the, the areas I pursued. So I, I tend to wind up in the deep end before I actually um, really know what I'm doing in the pool. And so it was through experience, you know, it was a few days into the job and he told me to um, do some wireframes for an app design. And I, I was mystified. So I got on Google again. It was like wireframes, wireframes. <laughs> um, Calling your I husband. Say, <laughs> yeah. I should say, I actually did have a graphic design background before Anthro. I, um, I taught, I was a, a, an instructional assistant professor of graphic design for five years. And so I at least came in knowing all of the, the tools, mm -hmm. you know, I'd done web design apps weren't a thing when I was doing it yet, but, mm -hmm. um, it helped a little bit. So it was like a tiny bit less lost. <laughs> but yeah, I got my first UX job at a bar. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's uh, not uncommon, I would say, nor is it uncommon for people to come in, you know, or having graduated, never hearing of UX, right? We, we all exactly. know that most anthropology programs aren't really mm -hmm. teaching to work in UX per se, although you're learning the skills, you're not necessarily learning the terminology of the industry and how to work in it. And, and of course, we'll get to the to what you're doing now in the academic space. But so to go back, so you have some, you know, you have some design experience. You also have a partner who's a designer. You know, you, you're at a, essentially sort of, you know, an event in that industry, networking with people. It, yeah, obviously, it all comes together, makes sense. Um, but and you have the research skills to really do the work, but there again, there's still all that terminology like wireframes, like so much else yeah. that is is new. And so, you know, in that early stage, what was, you know, aside from kind of quickly Googling things, what were you really doing, you know, to sort of upskill? Well, it was, um, it really, it really was a lot of Googling, <laughs> uh, but also it was um, sort of furtively asking people um, what these things were. So it's we really, you know, UX has transformed in the last, um, let's see, seven years. So I, I started, God, seven years ago, I started in UX. Um, and I didn't have any peers from anthropology really to ask about uh, this stuff, to ask this stuff of. Um, most of the folks I know who had gone into the applied area had gone into NGOs, um, nonprofits of different sorts, um, some uh, straight government work. Um, I, I knew a couple of people who were um, in tech, but not working in UX. And so I started to, I started to look for books. Um, like I, I was fortunate in having worked on, um, in my dissertation on corporate ethnography to an extent. Mm -hmm. So I knew some of the folks who were involved in um, organizations like Epic um, and were talking about this stuff pretty early on. So I looked for what they were writing and talking about, too, to try to figure out what the role of anthropology in this stuff was, because it seemed like um, and it still seems in many work environments like there's a real emphasis on quantitative research skills over the qualitative mm -hmm. So I didn't know what I could contribute at first versus like my psychology colleagues. Um, 
or even the quantitative sociologists. Um, I was like, do, you know, who's going to pay for field work? Um, but I have to say it was really different when I got to Schlumberger um, because they really emphasize field work. Okay. Um, and so going back over that, those seven years, what else did you see as a change? Well, it was like a, a slow trickle of people asking me um, how to get into UX. And I wish back then I'd actually made a website that was just, um, you know, nobody likes to hear that I got the job at a bar because that's hard to replicate. <laughs> but, um, you know, people started to ask, should I do certificate programs? Um, should I go back to school and get an additional degree? Which, I mean, my answer to that is almost always no. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of the people who ask me have sunk enough time into higher education and we don't necessarily need another degree. Yeah. Um, yeah, people ask me for blueprints more and more. So it was, yeah, it really was like a snowball. And um, it got to the point where then people stopped asking because there were so many more resources. So now there, I'd say, gosh, like um, at least a third of the folks that I know who are anthropologists are either looking to get into that line of work, mm-hmm. um, looking to at least freelance in UX or, um, you know, just end up in the, the field somehow. So, yeah, it's, there are a lot of resources that aren't me now, and <laughs> that's helpful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And uh, some, you know, there's a lot of human resources of many of us, right, who are willing to kind of help out. But there's also a lot of other resources, including boot camps, and actually now navigating that is yes. actually challenging, right, and finding the right sort of use of time and dollars. Um, yeah which in some cases dollars are needed, um, you know, right, self-study, there's plenty of free materials, but so finding the right fit for everybody has actually now become kind of challenging, but also in the same time over those seven years, you know, like I say in, in the New York market, which is where I was, I watched it from not many UX research roles being available to just now there being so many that it's, you know, it's, it's uh, pretty startling just to see the change in that time. But so yeah. in, in your transition, so you said when you ended up at Schlumberger, it was more field work. So, you know, what do you, what were you doing there? Um, you know, what kind of in-context research were you doing? Well, that was actually a really fascinating place to work. Um, and at first I thought coming from agencies, working for this, you know, one of the largest corporations in the world, I, I was going to have a really tough transition. Um, but the teams there were pretty cool and, you know, filled with creative people. So it was it was an awesome place to work. Um, they, my first couple of days on the job, they told me um, that I was going to need to get a hard hat, um, my, my, basically a full set of, of PPE, so mm-hmm. personal protective equipment. Um, I needed steel-toed boots. I needed gloves. I needed goggles. I needed the uh, an official jumpsuit, and I needed to go get rig certified so I could go out on oil rigs and not, you know, take the whole thing down with me, which was a really different type of UX research. I mean, here in Houston, we have a lot of energy UX. So it's a lot of really extreme environments and trying to figure out how people can use technology comfortably in occasionally very harsh conditions. So it's it's pretty, pretty fascinating UX. Um, but, you know, watching training videos where it was like, 
Uh, you won't be able to smell the gas, but <laughs> you better run or, <laughs> um, yeah, like there were some really alarming videos. And, um, you know, when we had to go around the room and say why we were in these training uh, training sessions, you know, it was people who are all like, uh, you know, oil production workers. And then we get to me and I'm like, well, I'm an anthropologist. And that that didn't go over well. <laughs> I mean, it didn't go over poorly, but everybody was really confused. So um, the field work there ranges from um, going to, you know, offshore sites, locations, um, to going to facilities locally or in other parts of Texas or, you know, so it can be office environment field work, but it can also be, you know, field work in some pretty pretty extreme sites of, of oil and gas production. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I had a couple of colleagues who were constantly traveling all over the world. Now, Norway was a big one um, to, to do this field work. So they were interested in hiring um, really a lot of qualitative researchers for this kind of energy work because mm -hmm. so much of it was field work oriented. Um, and we had a, we had a plenty of people who could do the, the in-office work, but they were, always like, how much can you travel? Um, yeah. And are you picky about where you'll travel? So, And was it always connected to digital products or were you also doing, you know, sort of UX work in a broader sense where it was more maybe like kind of work practice and even like, you know, with, um, you know, with sort of industrial products? Um, the group that I worked with, we did digital products. Um, so it always eventually, yeah, they, they ended up being digital. But um, I think there were people in UX, even within Houston, who I didn't meet until after I left the job. So I'm sure there were people there working on things that were really a departure from the stuff I was working on. Um, I mean, just in Houston alone, we had, we had several buildings. And my co-director uh, of the uh, UXPA here in Houston also worked at Schlumberger and we never met. Um, and he's a UX designer. So, you know, same city. That's how big the teams were. Yeah, but big company. Yeah. I mean, it's weird. Uh, Schlumberger was really ahead of the other companies people think of when they think of oil and gas um, in terms of adopting UX. And we had a couple of, of evangelists there who were responsible for that, including a guy who uh, started the UX program at Kent State. Interesting. So... Yeah, um, yeah, really, really great uh, ex-academic who's was sort of an applied psychology uh, focused guy. Yeah. And so, then, what was your experience like? You know, having these evangelists, having people who you know, are pushing this in an industry that a lot of people from the outside may not think is always the most aggressive. Yeah, right. And so, you know, having that, how was that sort of? I'm going to, you know, I'm going to use the word mentorship, if you will. Um, but compared to your previous experience, like how did that help you grow? And is, is that something today that you think, you know, people really, you know, starting out and you should be looking for? You know, I think what that taught me was um, I, I was, I had pretty much bought into the academic snobbery of like, you know, we have one end goal in these PhD programs and, that's to end up um, someday a tenured professor. Mm -hmm. And applied work is, we're not gonna talk about it. And 
um, an industry is a little bit dirty, you know, regardless of whether it's literally dirty work like oil and gas. Um, and I was, it was actually a, a little bit of a, okay, it was a lot of a wake up call really to go into um, what I thought was going to be a really conservative corporate environment because of the nature of the work. Mm -hmm. Like I thought, you know, somebody as liberal as me is not going to be in oil and gas. Um, and really the, the, the teams there surprised me a lot. Um, and also the mentorship I got there really surprised me. So I felt like, um, I felt like people took me under their, their wing and improved my work as a, um, a UX researcher in the same way that I was mentored at the best of times in academia. Um, and really by the same types of people too, because, you know, these are also people who, um, you know, like my, Jason, who I worked with, the guy I was talking about uh, at Slumberger, he, you know, he published a whole bunch of stuff. Um, he's, he is a solid, has a solid academic track record. And he was like an advisor to me. Um, but, you know, he also, because of, you know, the nature of, of the, the job had to come in and say, look, like, you also need to develop um, skills that you didn't have to have in academia. Mm -hmm. Like, you need to be able to, um, really hold your own in a room full of people who don't see the value in your work. And you need to um, be sort of independently accountable to those teams. And really, um, you need to not be deferential. That was one of the big ones. Um, you know, he was like, you, you've got to stop thinking in terms of rank and hierarchy, which I definitely came out of academia, sure. you know, thinking of like, I, okay, this person is, you know, been a tenured professor for 20 years okay like him but you know he was like if someone's been on the job for 20 years you still need to you need to find those moments where you're not deferring to them mm -hmm. um where you are the expert in the room you are the only ux person in that space and those people will walk all over you if you don't stand up for yourself and yeah they'll they'll kick you off the project if you don't show your value really clearly um and yeah, I almost got kicked off a project learning the hard way that um, waiting for people to tell me what to do was not an effective strategy. Um, yeah, it's it is it is hard making the transition sometimes between like academic models for um, how we work and then work in the business world. Yeah, sure. Even just sometimes in terms of hours. <laughs> yeah, pace. I mean, so many things. Uh, yeah, pace is a big one for sure. Yeah, you know, style of language and uh, you could say yeah. depth. You know, I don't want to say that what we do in industries doesn't have a depth, but right, there's there's still a difference even in the way you you portray it. Um, you know, so that was a really interesting point um, that I, I haven't heard anybody else bring up. And so I'm also kind of curious. You know, in the past we've talked about you know there's all kinds of skills that you need to develop, and I don't you know, don't necessarily need to rehash them per se, but like, you know, just things like product manage, uh, project management and, you know, sort of a lot of the business skills, right? We, we have to develop those. But something in your space that's kind of interesting, you also, you know, you're in context or in the field work is very different than a lot of digital product in the field work, you know? And it's not to say that those who went through an academic program have might, you know, many of them have gone off into sort of, you know, difficult environments, some, you know, around the world, yeah. and, you know, whole new language, but yours is, 
you know, being a very heavy industry environment with, you know, some significant dangers, there's also quite a few things that you probably had to learn in that space. So is there anything interesting that that pops out from having those experiences that you would share with others? Let's see. Well, I've, I've actually, um, I've learned, I think, as much from brief fieldwork encounters um, in UX as I did from doing anthro fieldwork. So my fieldwork with UX has involved things like nuclear power plants and, and um, yeah, when we, when I worked at the, the second agency I worked for, um, we had clients in all areas of energy and um, my, you know, my, my academic field work has been in corporate environments, but definitely less dangerous corporate environments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, there was, there was little risk of me interrupting somebody's um, train of thought at a pivotal moment and causing some sort of, you know, catastrophic equipment yeah, failure. <laughs> um, what I, yeah, what I, I, I learned really um, how to, I guess, I'm trying to put this in like a not non corporate speak way, actually, but <laughs> really pivot more flexibly um, when and adapt my field work to the circumstances in front of me. So, you know, um, with my longer term field work in the academic world, I could, if something went wrong or with my access, I could pause and regroup. Um, but there were a lot of cases where, you know, the I would show up for for field work somewhere and the parts wouldn't have talked to each other and people didn't know I was coming or, mm-hmm. um, you know, the access wasn't there or in some cases, like, you know, nobody remembered to meet me and I was horribly lost or, you know, but there wasn't time to really, like, really sort that out and have a meltdown about it. <laughs> it was, um, I've got sometimes like a day or a couple of weeks to figure this out and it has to happen. Um so yeah, the the adjustment, the timeline adjustment has been has been a big one. Um, you know, I think I think a lot of the the field work in like in the energy industry, it actually has reminded me a lot of. I haven't seen any like um you know really catastrophic <laughs> moments in thankfully um, in production. Although I have colleagues who who have. I haven't seen anything really dramatic, um, but it reminded me a lot of of watching uh, live television um, when I did my my dissertation field work. So you know you're in control rooms and there are you know things have to happen at specific times. You have to press the button at a particular moment. Everybody has a little bit of adrenaline because it's live. Um, you know, it is a performance. And then there's a researcher in the space who's kind of in the way, really. Um, yeah, people want their stuff to work better in the long run. But, you know, in the short term, you're there and you really have no, like, demonstrable value. <laughs> so um, that's the case also in the energy, in the, you know, in the energy industry. It's, it's industries, I should say. Um, where things happen quickly, um, sometimes there's a lag, but there's a lot of performance going on as well. A lot of this happens, that happens, that happens in quick succession, and people are distracted and don't have time for you. So um, when I teach field work, um, I try to teach patience even when you don't have really what it seems like the time to be patient. 
um, when you need to come back with, with findings quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, because, yeah, the, a, lot of the, a lot of the workflow um, needs you to take a breath and allow it to happen um, for you to really learn things from the people around you. Yeah. So how did you kind of get, uh, you know, accustomed to that, especially coming out of the PhD program? I mean, was that just sort of a natural process? Was it, you know, your mentor kind of really helping you kind of get your mind around, you know, sort of the different pace and, and how to approach it or? Um, I always think I, I learn things the hard way. So I, I feel like I probably, um, yeah, I had, I, I had some, I had a, a couple of really good colleagues at my second agency who, I mean, because we were an agency and we had clients and we had to deliver, um, were always giving me timelines that I was uncomfortable with. <laughs> and um, I would say there's no way I can do that number of interviews in two weeks. Mm -hmm. It's just not possible. Like, I'm not a machine, people. Um, like, if I was designing the project, I would do that number of interviews over, like, a semester. Um, and... So, yeah, there was one case where somebody gave us a timeline and my project manager quit after she saw it. She just quit. So um, she was like, I'm fed up with this. You know, you, you people in your unreasonable timelines. And she, you know, gave her notice. Um, and I was like, well, I'm going to try this. And it worked. Like, it was actually fine. Um, and this was... Um, a project for a, a client who's in nuclear power. And those were some of the best, well, the most bizarre and interesting interviews I've ever done um, because people use them as like little therapy sessions. Um, but I, I basically, I kept quiet about the timelines for a while because I felt like a fish out of water in corporate environments already. And so I was like, if, if something feels wrong, it's probably me. Um, and so I, Timelines still are actually kind of challenging for me. Um, yeah, I know people who are, when they do, um, you know, when they estimate the the time that they're going to need for a project are really on the nose about it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've had folks tell me, take what you think you're going to need time-wise and double it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Which is lovely if you can get that. <laughs> um, but... I've never been great at saying this is how long something's going to take me. So I tend to, to cave to the short timeline um, and then just try to make it happen. And that's, it's, it's tricky to know. I mean, some, I think some folks in Anthro who are really good grant writers are probably good at timelines, mm -hmm. but I always felt like I was lying when I wrote a timeline because I had no idea if it was true. Like, yeah, I wrote some grants where I was like, um, in July, I'm going to do this. And then <laughs> I, I had no idea. But yeah, in the business world, if I get to July and I don't deliver, then I'm maybe fired. So, yeah. Yeah. Estimating you know, is an important, estimating planning is an important skill, which, you know, there are, of course, you know, there's ways to sort of go about learning some methods around that. Um, and there, you know, it's a, very useful thing to put in some time. You know, I came out of a business background. And so, you know, we basically have a little bit of more training, you know, in that space. And so today, you know, when I'm kind of in my UX slash product role, you know, I'm constantly estimating for projects. And um, I can see, you know, why it's challenging when you're new to it, but it also, 
know, it helps everything, right? Helps everything run smoother for all parties involved. So it's one of those things for anybody listening that I would recommend, you know, sort of putting in some effort to to learn early on. Um, and, you know, and it's also, yeah. I think it's also just good. I mean, if you're going to sort of rush and just get it done, even if you're kind of like, you know, even if that means you're working at night, well, okay, that's, you know, that's a decision that somebody can make, right? And, and come in on time. Um, but also, you know, if you don't want to do that or can't do that for some reason, right, you know, sort of planning it appropriately sort of just helps all parties uh, sort of stay happy with each other, right? And Yeah. And my, um, the undergraduates in my program have to take a class on this. Um, that's great. And yeah, there's a class called costing, which is cool. time and, yeah, time and money hmm. um, estimating. And it's a whole class. And I think, why did I not have anything that practical? Like, I need costing far more than I need, um, you know, the intricacies of Foucault these days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, this is what you get, I think, when you go into um, some of the more, I guess, practical parts of, of uh, academia. Yeah, and so we're definitely going to touch on that. But before we kind of make the jump to academia, so I'm in the last uh, Anthro to UX episode, I was talking a little bit with Anthony Shinoda about the sort of his transition from the agency life to a product company and that you, you know, pretty much did the same thing. So building on that last conversation, I'm just wondering if you have, you know, a take on that, you know, and why did you make the transition from agency to Schlumberger? You know, was there anything kind of, you know, pros and cons or anything that you learned that's just interesting to point out that might resonate with listeners of the previous episode? Well, somebody once told me, um, one of my old colleagues told me that agencies are for the young. (laughs) And um, he said that because, you know, he was in his 50s. And he was like, I I got to the point where I couldn't work those timelines anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's too fast paced. The need to please clients is is too intense. Um, There are too many projects. And, you know, I wanted to coach Little League. Um, And I feel like there's some truth in that like in-house can be um, a much more moderate pace. Mm-hmm. Um, the timelines on my my in-house projects were really a lot more generous. Um, you know, we had like it, in the summer, we had the slowdown. So people would say, you know what? Let's not deliver that in July. Let's deliver that in August after I go to the Bahamas. <laughs> um, but, you know, we we always wanted to be we, we wanted to get repeat business in the agencies. So we, we always pushed for the aggressive deadline. Sure. Um, and, you know, usually we had, I mean, in agencies, like you've got all these, you know, you've got the, the people who are, are pitching for the projects, the, you know, the sales folks who are out there saying, well, we can do it for this amount um, in this time. And sometimes, you know, when you stick to that, you put yourself in a little bit of a bind <laughs> timing wise. Um, yeah. I've definitely had experiences where we oversold what we could do in a particular time. And that was tense, but yeah, we wanted that client to come back. We wanted to be the agency that like Cisco uses or, um, or IBM or, you know, yeah, we wanted to put them on our homepage under our clients list and gloat. Um, but you know, in a big corporate environment, there's, there's a lot of like what I think of as middle-aged benefits um, there's, you know, comfortable things like, um, 
like some places have childcare. Um, they have, you know, relocation assistance. They have, um, they have great benefits. They have like, it's, it's less exciting day to day in some places I'll say. Um, not all, but you know, a lot of my colleagues have gone on from agencies to, to other, you know, big companies and Mm -hmm. we're all like, it's a little bit more laid back. Um, but in a good way. So it depends on what, what you're going for. Um, I have one of my my old colleagues at the agency. She's still there because she loves that. Like that kind of dynamic work environment just is really s- suitable for her. Mm-hmm. So she's never going to to go in-house. Yeah. I think no. it can be a little more boring too. I think in-house, it depends. <laughs> you know, you only have the, a lot of the time you have like, teams within the the company but you don't have all those different kinds of clients so yeah yeah your subject matter might be the same you know or just a little variation on that but i think it's important you know to well one i think it's a good point and and a good addition to the conversation i had from the previous episode but also i think what's important about this and that i talk about sometimes is like you know um you know picking the right company now i appreciate that some of us have to sort of take the job that we're offered the interview for in times in life, right? And that happens to everybody at at least one point in their career, probably. But, you know, there are other, you know, there are other points. Maybe that's because you're in New York and you have, you know, options. Maybe that's Mm -hmm. because you're more mature in your career and you have options, whatever it may be. There are, you know, there's a number of things that can help you sort of pick the right place, like that kind of startup culture or agency model Mm -hmm. versus, you know, a large organization. And, no, even um, something I oftentimes say to people, like, you know, if you like process and you've like rules and like, you know, maybe you want to go for the bigger company versus if you are okay, just kind of getting in, rolling up your sleeves and helping like to kind of figure things out and define things. Well, then maybe you want to start up, right? And there's lots of ways you could look at this. And, um, but, you know, some yeah. of what you're talking about sort of plays into that. And I think it's just important for people to recognize that picking, you know, if you want to apply to a certain, if you want a certain lifestyle, you might want yeah. to pick certain places over another. Well, and one thing that I think doesn't come up enough is that a, a lot of folks I know have picked where they work because they needed to be in a, a particular city. Yeah. Um, they couldn't relocate. You know, it's nice that, like, uh, you know, a lot of us get these great job pitches on LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn, home of the recruiters. <laughs> um, but, you know, I can't move to Silicon Valley. Yeah, right. um, I'm so for me, like, you know, I didn't enjoy going to the AAA and saying I worked in oil and gas. <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't make you the most popular anthropologist. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to work applied, you at least have to work somewhere that's like a, you know, not oil and gas. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I'm in Houston, and I have to be in Houston. And a lot of folks who I went to grad school with have to be in a, you know, a lot of specific places around the country and the world. Um, and they may not have the really robust UX options that, um, I mean, even a city like Houston, it, you know, we're huge. We may not be as hip, uh, but we're, we're huge. So we have a lot of options, but, um, you know, some folks I know are in small towns and yeah. are still explaining what UX is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. 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 Fair point. So. So moving on in your career path, so um, unlike everybody else that I have interviewed so far, you chose to leave industry and go back to academia. 
So because I hate money, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to ever have any of it or be able to pay bills. <laughs> Fair. Um, yeah. <laughs> but so yeah, why you know why did you choose to go in that direction? Well, I was always adjuncting when I was in business. Um, so yeah, I never stopped teaching because I actually love teaching. Um, and I didn't get to do a, you know, mentoring people at, uh, in the office was great, but I really wanted to teach. So there was that. Um, and one of my, uh, one of the people I worked with, uh, another mentor at Schlumberger actually was on the advisory panel for the program that I now work for at the University of Houston. Um, and so she would go as an industry advisor and help them to develop their courses. And so she told them that they needed UX. Like if you're going to have a digital media program, um, you really need to start teaching UX. Mm -hmm. And so when they started putting out feelers saying, okay, we're, you know, we're going to hire for someone um, to actually build a UX program here. I was like, this is too tempting because there is a real lack of UX in higher education. And the idea of being able to send out students um, who had had that as an undergrad was just um, really appealed to me. And being able to create a UX lab, um, the guy who I worked with at Summer J. Jason had built one. Like I said, he, he did the whole program at Kent State. Um, and so he built a UX lab and actually sat down with me and, you know, he came over to the University of Houston with me and looked at the room and um, helped me draw out what I wanted to do um, because I'd never gotten to build a lab before. I'd been in labs, but um, I don't know much about, you know, things like really <laughs> AV equipment, <laughs> really at all. <laughs> so, you know, I was like, okay, do I what kind of cameras do I want? What should, you know, do I want, do I want a one-way mirror? <laughs> um, and I mean, I actually didn't wind up going with the one-way mirror, but that's because they wouldn't let me punch a hole in the wall. <laughs> so, but yeah, we, um, there's a real, the, there's starting to be more interest in UX in um, other disciplines in a, the academic world. Uh, as well, like digital humanities has started to put out the feelers for that. So I'm working on a project um, in the digital humanities with a, an historian. Um, but I'm also trying to make sure that um, that I, I keep my ties to industry so that my students have um, people who are in industry coming in to talk to them mm -hmm. and are doing projects with industry partners whenever possible. Um, so, yeah, having a lab means that I'll be able to involve students in, in practical work in that area, too. Um, I've hired a few of my students as research assistants on UX projects, so they're actually getting to, to do some of this stuff. And I'm a little jealous because where was this stuff when I was in college? Yeah, sure. I mean, we didn't have, we didn't have bubble phones when I was in college, but anyway, at least <laughs> I didn't. Um, yeah, a lot but has yeah. changed since then. I I know, I know. I'm sheesh. Yeah, but I think um, what is really tiny right now at the University of Houston um, has the potential to grow even bigger. And even if, yeah, I mean, if if I can 
leave a mark there for UX and um, help it to to be an alternative or something that students who are already enrolled in college can do instead of having to graduate and then pay additional money for a certificate program. Um, that would be that would be great because yeah. Um, yeah, UH is sort of um you know it's one of the real centers of of Houston life. It's um, it's the University of. Thanks for sharing all that you did about the program. What I'd, I'd like to step back and kind of get a, a few more details, though. So what are students actually graduating with? What is the degree? Digital media. Yeah. Okay. And so like, how, how will anybody know that they studied UX? Is it like, you know, a sort of focus or a specialization or is it just a few courses? Right now, they're, they won't know um, unless, they, unless the student actually goes and, and shows them their portfolio. Um, this is what I hope for the program in the future is that it will be a track um, within digital media because we have, we have a few different tracks right now and UX should be one of them. Um, I'm hindered a bit by just the nature of academia in needing to focus on research first and curriculum development second right now. So this is so far, um, something of a, it's, it's my dream. Um, but we are, we're lucky enough to have two new faculty members joining us, uh, in August. And one of them has a, has a lot of UX experience as well. So I'm hoping to... Um, loop her in to be my ally in really making this a track because, yeah, what, you know, having a, a couple of courses isn't, isn't enough. Um, we know this because the demand is insane. Um, and not just from digital media students, like um, I, I'm an affiliate of the Comparative Cultural Studies program. So we have anthro students wanting to take it. We have um, computer science students wanting to take it. We have architecture students, you know, we have, we have people from, from really so many different disciplines who have heard about UX. Um, somebody told me they saw an article on LinkedIn that UX was like the most, um, you know, the most up and coming, the hottest discipline to be in, in the next five years. And, um, and so they were like, that's why I want to take this course. <laughs> um, but it's always full. It's always maxed out. Like I teach um, not about 90 students at once and mm -hmm. it's, it's always full and we always have a waiting list. And um, so the demand is so intense that we really, we really need to keep building it out in that area. And that's something I'm, I'm super into the idea of doing. Um, yeah, it's, it's really cool that there are that many people who want to do UX. Um, even if, you know, maybe some of them just heard about it and don't know what it is yet. Mm -hmm. I know I, I get a lot of people who are asking all kinds of questions that are, you know, there's a lot of articles, like you say, right, talking about the, the potential of it, the growth of it, the salaries of it, right? And so that's bringing a lot more people, which is wonderful. Um, it's, all, of course, also creating more competition for people finding jobs, anthropologists, of course, yeah. being some of them, but really... You know, the thing about UX is it's open to anybody, right, at this point. Social science, business, you know, you name it, you, you have people coming from sort of all walks of life, which is maybe another reason why, you know, more training programs that formalize that a little are, are not such a bad thing. Yeah. But um, not to, so I love what you're doing, not to sort of, you know, um, you know, how any of your quote unquote maybe competitors, but do you know of other programs who are doing such things? Because 
you know, when I look around, a little bit that I've looked around and say other anthropology programs, I don't really come across anybody who's like really teaching UX within the context of an anthropology program. But I'm also not, you know, looking beyond that per se. So yeah, do you know of other, you know, besides University of Houston, is there anywhere else that people might want to look if they can't come there or, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I just came out with an article recently called Building a UX Research Program, and it's um, in Practicing Anthropology, the journal, um, because I was trying to figure out if there was anybody else doing <laughs> doing this. And um, one of the the other leaders in um, building UX research programs or UX programs um, in a university setting is the Savannah College of Art and Design, um, SCAD. So they're, they have a great program. Um, yeah, there's, there's really, there's really not that much else. I think Georgia Tech might have something going on as well. Um, but the thing that the model that most people are, are looking into using is really of um, kind of creating like a, a menu, like a, of a little, a couple of things in the UX program are done in a dedicated department, usually like a graphic design department. And then they have like an a la carte sort of situation where you have to take a course in anthro and a course in basic stats and a course in psych and... Um, I'm actually, by and large, in favor of that model because I think it's hard for, you know, my my program can't teach stats or, you know, we do we do actually teach um, some sort of data. We have data visualization um, mm -hmm. in our department, but we, yeah, we can't teach stats as well as the stats people do. Um, I'm not even going to touch, you know intro to psych or, or any kind of psychology course. Um, and we don't actually teach design in our program. So I would rather build a couple of, of core UX and design thinking courses within our program and then have students who are doing that track do courses with the, um, the experts in the affiliated fields that contribute to UX. So yeah, like I mean, I can I like to think I can teach a good a good anthro course, but I'm not I'm not allowed uh, because of the department I'm in. So yeah, I mean, there's also the the rules of academia that have to be taken into account. Like, you know, I can't teach anthro because I'm not in the anthro department. Um, so I would send them over to the anthro folks and have them take um, an anthro course there. But yeah, I don't know. There there are some places. Um, who are doing more with applied anthro, um, but yeah, gosh, I I could cheat and look right now um, at my <laughs> list, and I'm really tempted to to do so because <laughs> I yeah, let's see, um, yeah, so I have a colleague who's starting at uh, Texas State University and. Um, so she's really looking to build out the applied anthro um, and to do uh, a focus on UX there. And I think the University mm -hmm. of North Texas does have. Yeah, so, so I attended University of North Texas and it's an applied program and we can yeah. focus on business tech and design, but you still don't talk about UX. Or at oh, least you okay. didn't when I went through it, right? It's, yeah. it's applied within the context of you know, business, broadly speaking, but you don't hear the terminology of UX. You uh, still hear the, the language yeah. of 
really of, you know, of an academic program. Right. And I've heard the same of University of Memphis, um, which also has a, a good applied program. But the ones who are really overtly coming out and saying UX, you know, I just don't know of them yet. You're the, really the first one who yeah. you know, I've heard who's trying to sort of build that you know, out. Yeah, build that out. And I mean, I know um, I saw that Chris Miller went to SCAD and I, yeah. you know, it's Savannah School of Art and Design. And so I, I've looked at some of those programs and they do look great. But also SCAD's, you know, uh, at the price point of SCAD, it's also not for everybody. Right, exactly. It's, it's not a cheap school. Yeah. So, um, but I, yeah, I mean, I guess like to answer your question, there really isn't very much. Like I'm digging here for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's academia is always a certain amount behind, um, behind industry in, in the, in the programs that are offered. Like the, there might be individual faculty members who are trying to promote this stuff, but yeah, in, in terms of like actual degree programs, it is so slow to get the, you know, the, the university beast to move that, Mm -hmm. um, we tend to do what we can with, you know, creating courses here and there and building up programs gradually. Um, but yeah, I think, there are, are more and more anthropologists who are sensitive to the, the, you know, the number of people who want to work in UX who are getting jobs right now and are hopefully going to contribute courses in that area, at least to get us all started. Mm-hmm. So, you know, considering your, your very sort of, um, you know, sort of early well, I mean, you're, you're obviously you're in on the ground floor. You have the opportunity, you know, in your own at University of Houston to define a lot of this. So, you know, what is it that you, aside from just teaching like UX broadly, you know, do you have any specific goals? I mean, I know you already said if possible to get it to be its own track, but like what, what, what are you trying to accomplish out of this program? Well, I'm trying to um, create UX research um, to, to actually use UX as both practical and um you know, a set of research skills in a university context. So, you know, in the HCI community, there are a lot of people who do usability studies um, in an academic context. But I don't see much in the way of really training people to do UX per se. Like, it's like really um, a method here, a method there, or like really uh, aggressive use of the word usability without much that's really linked to usability. Um, yeah, I would like us to actually be doing cool experiments in UX and pushing UX as a discipline with the help of, of undergrads who can then go out into industry and create this, this link between the work they've done um, in UX in their, their academic life and the work they then go on to do in their careers in business. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that there are a lot of great partnerships between academic institutions and business that have resulted in just really cool innovation. And um, I don't feel like UX should be left out of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I would love to help businesses innovate using the tools that we've got that nobody else has. So, I mean, yeah, if we're going to have all these these technology centers sponsored by the big tech companies of the the world, um, at universities, there needs to be some UX component in that tech development, and there really isn't right now. So, like, yeah, if you're going to have the Google Center for Innovation, um, and you're going to partner with computer scientists and 
and, you know, do like a, you know, design incubation and all this stuff. Like, again, where is the UX? Um, it's, it's too important to leave out. And if we don't have people on the university side saying UX, um, it's going to continue to be left out. So, yeah, um, I'm hopefully annoying about it in a good way um, on campus, you know, always trying to say, well, okay, this is a cool thing you're working on, but, um, you know, your, your model's really retro. And it, yeah, there's always like two steps, design, develop, <laughs> and that's it in, in these projects. Um, and yeah, academia does contribute a lot of like, there's, there's such cool tech being developed at, at my university. I just, uh, I want to see UX have a voice in, in that, in those projects. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I, I obviously second it. It sounds great. Um, I can't curious though, for somebody who, you know, I've adjuncted at a few places, but I'm not like deeply, I've never gotten deeply involved in the academic politics in any way, right? I don't know some of the limitations. So what are, for anybody else who might be listening that is also maybe thinking of teaching or, or doing something similar, you know, what are some of, you know, the challenges, you know, what should some people maybe be aware of? Well, I think one of the challenges is that you have to explain UX to absolutely everybody. Um, Which is not new to most of us who are yeah. already doing the work. Yeah, that's really <laughs> true. Um, but you have, <laughs> I feel like even more so in academia. Um, yeah, you have to you have to make a case for why it matters in you know in business as well, but um, in academia there's still there's oh gosh even more than in business there's a tendency to silo. So um, with UX being so interdisciplinary, it's you really have to articulate a place for it. Um, you know, people are going to be like, well, that doesn't sound like our department, or can't they do that over in you know design or um, or like, oh, if we do a course in that, the, you know, psychology is going to get pissed off or, um, so having a, you know, uh, the patience to keep pushing through the initiatives is part of, is part of it. Um, and sometimes just to wait for people to retire, I think, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's, it does require it does require education and saying this is how this this course is different from anything else that's being offered and um, a willingness to go into the business world and show the metrics for you know why why um, this is something that should be taught like these days I mean universities as we know are really business minded um, they want to see like you know they want to see measurable outcomes for their students um, they want to see who's getting jobs and what. And it's UX makes a case for itself when we show the the rate of um, really new jobs in UX and um, you know how many people are going into that the, the field. It's easy to convince some of the the administrators that this is something we should offer. It's good business sense. Um, a lot of the students coming in haven't heard of it either. So I think the other thing is to keep the ball rolling. Um, once you've got one course, which is a good place to start, I feel like, you know, starting with a course is, 
is reasonable, manageable. If you say like, I can teach this, um, here's a syllabus that I've made. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why we should teach it and not anybody else. Um, you know, at least as a special topics course, it's, mm-hmm. it's a pretty easy sell. Uh, my course, my, my first UX course started as a special topics course. Um, and I just had seniors, um, who were curious about it. And, um, then it became a, you know, a required part of like, if you're a digital media major, you have to take UX as a freshman. It has to be one of the first things you take so that you do no other developments of your, your portfolio without keeping UX in mind. That's great. And, um, but you know, adding on courses is actually harder than, than getting the first one in like the first one. <laughs> it's, it's like anything else, you know, it starts to seem like it, Oh, well, that was easy. Let me just do another UX course. And then the second one is, well, we have one. Why do we need a second? Um, yeah. But teaching UX in one semester is it's a little hard. So, yeah, thanks. I am, you know, not so aware of a lot of the inner workings of, of how that, so that works. And in fact, you know, when I taught product management and that was a special topics course, and so I'm hoping to sort of build out that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a uh, special topics is definitely a good place to start. And I can see, you know, what, you know, from my own experience can see why I didn't realize it would be a little harder after that to build the program, but yeah. interesting to know um, what I'd also be curious. So, you know, in the case of, I know you want it to be a track and if it does, then presumably I'm going to presume there's more courses that are kind of clearly within that track than maybe there would be today. But within this broader digital media program, is it also touching on anything tangential to UX? So product management or even like UX strategy. I mean, I know in industry, even there's like sort of it's not clearly defined all the time what that really means as opposed to some other roles. But, you know, there's there's all these other roles that sort of are, you know, sort of um, adjacent to UX where there's overlapping skills and it's good to know how to sort of work in those or work with those partners. And so is there any kind of other, you know, very, any other classes for other tech roles that would be good for a student to take because then they're going to be a better partner working with them in the future? Mm. Yeah, I think you're, you're right about project management being a really important skill set. I, I think, um, really project planning and the costing course I mentioned are mm-hmm. important components. Um, I like, I, I actually like to send my students over to do basic courses in, um, in design, even if they're not designers. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, mostly just because if you, if you speak the language of design, it's easier to work in UX. And sure, yeah. um, so having like, just, you know, intro to design principles um courses where you're you're learning like the yeah the the fundamentals um and not necessarily having to create a brilliant you know a a brilliant work of art um are really helpful and my my students tend to be a bit of afraid of the straight graphic design courses because they're over in digital media because they want to work in digital media but they don't want to be artists so, you know, they're not generally people um, who tend to think of themselves as being good illustrators or, um, you know, being somebody who's going to create a beautiful website for you. And although there are actually 
yeah, there are definitely exceptions. Um, a lot of them are, are gun shy about the idea of going over into the design courses, but um, knowing the Adobe creative suite um, even now has been tremendously helpful for a lot of my students. Um, you know, I don't teach tools. So, you know, I say like, okay, if you're, <laughs> if you, if you want to learn, you know, XD or like, yeah, I mean, in the past sketch, um, you're going to have to have to train yourself on your own on those. And they usually do, but, um, but yeah, a lot of the, the, a lot of the software is taught over in design. And so it's been helpful for, for folks to take courses over there too. Um, I always, I think just having a handle on data visualization and um, stats is really important. So, you know, we, we have data visualization. Um, you know, we've got, our, my department includes the data, data scientists. So we have those courses and I never would have touched those courses with a 10 foot pole as an undergrad because, you know, I went into qualitative research for a reason. I am still really afraid of math and I still find um, basic statistics a little bit confusing. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And even though, you know, in my second agency job, I had a very patient colleague who, you know, she taught stats and she adjuncted and taught stats. And so she trained me really well. And I still am nervous about stats. So I tell my, my students to tough it out because a lot of them are also really afraid of it. But um, yeah, being able to do the research, but also to represent your findings well and to figure out how to interpret them um, is is really part of what I would moosh together into a program. Mm -hmm. eh, moosh is not a word, but um, you know, I would I would put in the UX sandwich. So yeah, I I always say that I wish I'd done stats as an undergrad, among things, because of the number of times I've been asked to do stats in the business world. Um, mm -hmm. We talk presentation methods, like we do. Um, you know, we, we have basically, we do a lot of professionalization in my program. So we have, you know, how to present, how to build your portfolio, how to design an independent research project. Um, and I didn't create those courses. Those, those predate me. So we ideally get people who can um, do a project, work independently on it and come back and show their findings. And yeah, generally appear competent while they're doing it. Um, again, not something I learned in college. Yeah. So I, you know, not entirely sure what I learned in college when I think about it, but. <laughs> well, it sounds like a great program. Um, so thanks for, you know, for all that you're doing with that. And then, you know, maybe to kind of pivot here towards the end, I'd be curious to know, um, you know, one, is there anything you would recommend to anybody who's listening, you know, in terms of maybe an education track that they should follow or, you know, what they should do if they've already graduated. I know you said, you know, you're a little skeptical yourself of boot camps or maybe spending, you know, more money on another, on another degree, but you know, what, if somebody was starting out, what would you tell them to do? And maybe if somebody's already graduated with an advanced degree, what would you tell them to do? Mm, I tell people to, um, I, I tend to, and this, this, I'm trying to figure out if this is like an unpopular opinion, but I tell people to avoid, um, you know, they don't hurt, but to generally to avoid certificates and, and boot camps because 
you can you can build up a portfolio by just um, doing little projects at first. And so this is part of why I try to hire my students back on research projects whenever possible, because those little projects add up to um, to real jobs, um, to full time jobs, I should say. And also to look for those jobs that will allow you to come in and let you learn while getting paid to learn. Um, somebody once told me never do a, a PhD program where you have to pay tuition, you know, different from a master's where like you just bleed tuition all over the place. <laughs> but, um, but a PhD program, you know, people always said, yeah, if they start to, if they don't give you a stipend, don't do it. You'll end up in serious debt. And, um, I feel like it's sometimes, yeah, again, we all got to do what we got to do, particularly in a recovering economic climate. Um, but if you can find those jobs where people will let you come in and uh, learn from the UX folks, that's ideal if you have the option. And to build up that, you know, to save the work you're doing that's UX related or adjacent and to create that portfolio um, on the fly. Um, you know, I had a lot of colleagues at Slumberger who liked the, the Nielsen Norman group certification. So yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, totally fine. doesn't hurt anything. None of them hurt anything, of yeah. course. Um, but if you can walk into a bar and find somebody who will give you a chance, that's, I think, even better because you're not paying more. Sure. Um, it is much harder than seven years ago, though. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, you might not start out with the sexy job. I should say. Um, and yeah, it just does, depends on the bar. Yeah. <laughs> you might, you might not walk into or get recruited directly for like, you know, um, the big ticket job, whatever that might be for somebody. But if you're willing to work at a, like maybe a less sexy place for a little while, um, that hmm. might be an option. Yeah. But you know, yeah, yeah you know, to that point, um, you know, it's not the, I mean, I guess some of these are in the bar setting, but there is a lot of, you know, at meetups, there is still a lot of, you know, who's hiring, right? And 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 facilitating that interaction. Some of those actually are in bars and some of them are in, you know, large corporate settings. But point is, is there are still environments like that, you know, yeah. just like AIGA, right? That, you know, you're in the right space to actually have, to be in front of people who really do want to hire. And those are the kind of, you know, that's the kind of networking in that space that's very productive, yeah. Versus the random sort of, I just bump into somebody in the public space. Well, and, you know, that hasn't really been an option for, for like over yeah, a year. Well, so yeah, these, fair point. yeah, the benefit of the pandemic, like probably one of the only benefits was um, that all these great groups took their activities online. So um, you don't have that organic bumping into, but, um, you know, you can find cool groups like, I mean, Meetup is kind of a treasure trove, which I never thought I'd say. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it used to be for, like, finding a jogging group. Um, but now, like, you know, we have design hackathons that are always looking for UX team members. And mm -hmm. they don't look at your resume. Um, it's just go out there and jump onto a project and be the person who's willing to contribute a UX perspective. Um, so, yeah, looking for... Looking for events wherever you live, I think, is helpful, too. Um, I send my yeah. students to those design hackathons to just get extra portfolio pieces. That's great. And contacts. So in your role at UXPA, what are you doing? 
Oh, you're executive director, but I mean, like, what? Tell me a little bit about that. You know, like, what does that look like, and and what's you know, what what do you, uh, you know, how did that come about? Well, um, I really wanted to make myself um, attend more events, and so because. I tend to do things, I think, maybe a little strangely. Instead of just going to an event, I decided to be the director. <laughs> no, but they actually just, um, I'd only been at University of Houston for mm, three or four months when um, they were looking for a new person. And mm-hmm. I loved the idea of being able to host events um, at UH as part of, like, that way my my students would have events to participate in um, as a connection to my classes. And sure. yeah, we have space to host them. Um, that obviously broke down pretty quickly because I really, I was only at University of Houston for one semester and then the pandemic hit. So um, all of my grand plans became, you know, Zoom meetups. But um, yeah, I just, I thought of it as like, this could be a fantastic accessory to to coursework. Um, having the the coolest people in UX um, from this city come in and actually talk to talk to us here, um, and so that's really why I wanted to do it. And um, you know, it it was it was a way to really get to invite my dream speakers too. So there's a little bit of. Um, I mean, just, just, it's fun to do things like that because I have, I get to, to say, well, you know, Hey, we're, we're UXPA person. I've always wanted to, to speak to, um, you know, would you like to come and do a talk for us? Um, the other thing is I have my I have former students on my, my board. Um, so it's a way to give them again, that additional cred as they're going into the job market. Um, yeah, and really nice. I like to have at least two, what I called student, student liaison, student reps who are still in school and can help me to see what kinds of events people who haven't even hit the job market want to see. Um, you know, my perspective on events is like just really different from, from theirs. And so without their voices, I would just do, I mean, events that <laughs> sound cool to me, but don't have much to offer people who are just starting out. Yeah, well, yeah. I like the idea of having the students on. That that's really great. And uh, yeah, to your point of the, you know, what that contributes to them finding a job in the future is really, really, really a nice you know bonus in all that, and definitely a good way to sort of bring all your resources together. So it's pretty pretty creative. And it's, once it's really you know awesome. post pandemic, it should be pretty cool. You know, to yeah, to have it all back in person. Can, and, yeah, because we used to have like a, you know. We used to have like pizza and drinks or, or like we used to actually get to kind of hang out socially. And now we, um, now we have like me playing, uh, you know, elevator music on zoom. (laughs) It's, it's still fun, but it's not the same. (laughs) It's not the same. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our New York city business anthropology meetup has been online obviously. And it's, yeah, it's not, we're looking forward to getting back. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of things that I don't mind doing remote, but that's one that in person just makes a lot of sense. Yeah, the, the networking and you know that the networking isn't there, and that's such a big part of meetup. Yeah, know, of, of any meetup, and so um, so to wrap up, I guess um, where well, you have a book coming out. We'll just mention that again. You want to say anything about that? Well, I will say. I mean, it's 
it's uh it's in the future still so i don't have like a, a publication date for it but um i wrote a book on um on the application of of uh of mobile technology to television development so the creation of of what was called social tv by the people i worked with um meaning like tv where you can actually participate on your phone in the programs mm-hmm. and so it's called the book is called push the button and um it will i would say follow me on twitter and you will you will definitely get lots of notifications <laughs> you'll get okay, you'll get me saying hey look the book is now now coming out on this date and yeah very good um but hopefully this summer we'll be productive on that front and we'll get those re- revisions done it's weird to be doing that again but cool well i look forward to seeing it um you know i'll be linking to you on twitter um and then of course you know when the book comes out happy to share it but uh, on that point, so where else can everybody find you? Well, you can find me on LinkedIn. So um, my LinkedIn is just um, Liz Rodwell, um, one long word. So you can find me there. And my Twitter is also just Liz Rodwell, um, one word. Although I mostly use Twitter to yell at politicians. So um <laughs> You know, you so that's what all of Twitter's for. I'm pretty sure that's really what it's. It's you know, thirty <laughs> percent bots and thirty percent people yelling at politicians and <laughs> and then academics talking shop. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, but I I do really try to follow the UX community on there and uh, see what people are talking about and posting about. And um, I've been surprised that LinkedIn has turned into such a, a real social network. Like it's. It's there's there's always cool announcements um, of, you know, events and opportunities on on LinkedIn these days. So, yeah, I'm always happy to have new LinkedIn friends. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, certainly the pandemic has seemed to supercharge, you know, LinkedIn in in a way, in particular because of online events, you know, virtual events. And it's it's at the point where it's at literally just too much. You know, like there's so many things you want to join. You just can't listen to them all. Uh, There are so many events. Um. Actually, I I wanted to say I'm really specifically um, doing work right now on conversational UX. And so um, if anybody is up for letting me interview them, um, I would love to talk to people working in voice UX, on on voice assistance, um, in any area or conversation design. Um, So please hit me up, um, you know, if you either have resources in that area that I should be aware of or are willing to be interviewed by me. It would be pretty helpful. Um, and I'm hoping to add that to my, our program here. So yeah, that's cool. my big push right now. Very good. Well, I'll link to you on Twitter, on LinkedIn. And so Liz, thanks. Appreciate your time today. It was great talking with you. It was great talking to you too. Thank you for having me. Thank you all for listening to the Anthro to UX podcast. To learn everything you need to break into UX, visit anthrotous.com. There you will find all the podcast episodes and career coaching resources. Please like, share, and subscribe. See you next time.